Welcome to the most valuable fucking show you're going to listen to all week. How do you think that technology tools can help unfuck your business? Before just going completely full scale, completely digitizing the entire business model, start with something small. Let the tool do the work. How do I automate how I communicate and how I interact? This is Unfuck My Business. Welcome to the Unfuck My Business show. I am your host, Chris Delaney, and today we got a special treat. Today we're talking about digital tools. I'm just kidding. If you're working in your business, not on your business in today's world, you got to figure out some great tools to work with. We've had a discussion before about who do you listen to? Well, today I have the joy and pleasure of having some excellent people in the house to discuss their favorite tools and have a great discussion. I got my good friend Jinx here. What's up, my friends? What up, people? We got Jennifer in the house. What's going on? Hello. And we got Robin. What's going on, Robin? Woot woot. <laughs> we just had a fun discussion about some technology ourselves with how we're recording. So let's jump right into this discussion about digital tools. And let's talk about ways in which technology can help people unfuck their business. And maybe toss this around a little bit. It's free form. We got a couple questions on here. And of course, if you have any questions and you are listening as well, let us know how we can help you in future episodes. But we want to get this party started. So jump right in. How do you think that technology tools can help unfuck your business? Let's go with Jennifer first. Well, thank you, Chris. And I'm so happy to be here with everybody today talking about this amazing topic. I think I would just start off by saying, really use tools as an enabler. Don't let it become the front runner, the frontliner in your business. There's no need to get heavy, just focus on what you can automate, use it to save you time, make sure it doesn't replace what makes you unique, but complements you and allows you to represent yourself and use it to communicate to your audience in a very specific way. So I just like to make sure that everybody understands that my, my perspective is that the technology shouldn't overshadow your business. Love it. So more of like a complimentary thing to kind of replace you and maybe clone you in certain parts of your business. You're not needed, right? Exactly. Dig it. I would love to dive into that a little bit more. What about you, Jinx? I know that you're the grumpy old bastard of tech, so I'm interested in hearing from you. How can technology unfuck your business? Well, I mean, one of the things that that I think about good technology is that it's like good websites, right? It's not really about the flashy stuff and stuff moving around. It's about the website itself disappears behind the content, right? And good technology in your business should do the same way. It should disappear. It shouldn't be a focus. If you're having to think about your technology systems constantly, then you probably don't have good systems. So you like to make sure that it accentuates things, but isn't the main thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the the whole Iron Man Jarvis thing, right? Jarvis knows what needs to be done and responds quickly to questions and helps get the problem solved. You know, ideally, good digital tools in your business are essentially the same way, just tools that blend right in with the way that you do business. Nine years of owning an iPhone, and I just now have a relationship with Siri, so I'm interested to see how that goes. <laughs> poorly, I assure you. <laughs> so let's go over to Robin. I, I love the way you use technology yourself, and I'm super impressed with the way you use it for project management, some other stuff. I know you and Jennifer have done a phenomenal job of getting this podcast up and running the show itself. What is, uh, what's your philosophy around technology? How can it unfuck your business? I think it should enable and accelerate you rather than hinder you. As someone who is self-identified early adopter, I like being at the leading edge of technology. I like trying new things, but sometimes that works against me. 
I think we've heard of shiny object syndrome. I have shiny tech and gadget syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is something that I've, I've learned the hard way, actually. Like, just because it's new and it can do something for me doesn't mean it should be doing something for me in my business. And sometimes tried and true tools are the things that can benefit you. But I, I take the same approach to technology that I do with a lot of things, which is simply from a personality and a brand perspective, there are things that I'm not built to be successful at. And so my goal as a business owner is to find the tool, the software, or the person that is really good at those things so that I don't have to waste my time on them. I love what you just said because that's where I kind of live too. It's like that thought process before the technology itself, this idea of you have to know yourself really, really well. And especially for many small business owners or entrepreneurs, the chances that we know ourselves are like zone of genius and stuff like that. We talked about that before, but it's this idea of how do I even know how to use the tool? Because that's kind of my struggle sometimes is I have a process in my business that I know is not the best use of my time. So typically I'll end up either hiring somebody like a VA or someone else or partnering with somebody. But then there's the concept of how can I create better? Like how can I accelerate? You said acceleration. I love the fact that Jennifer, you were talking about enabling and, and, and replacing. And I like the fact that Jinx, you said almost like a foundation, like the stage that you're on so you can act, right? I'm interested from each one of you as, as use me as like a good example of this. Like I'm that person who might be an early adopter as well. I have a very strong risk tolerance, but most importantly, I know I'm good at this. I like being in front of people. I don't like diving into the technology piece. So how do you think that somebody can begin to learn whether to adopt a certain technology or a tool and when to implement? And I would love, Jennifer, for you to share that because I know you do this in the, in the position that you are in right now and kind of what you're doing, some ninja stuff that I love. How do you know when to implement? Like what's the process that somebody can use to kind of figure that out? So I usually position any sort of technology product platform based on how do I plan on interacting with someone. So I first start with the psychology of the end user or the psychology of who I'm trying to communicate with. So understanding what would prompt them to need me, what would prompt them to want me. And I take that journey and try to use the mental models of someone's natural behavior to identify now where can I insert a tool, a technology, or some sort of automation because there's many ways to automate. And I think people um, have a one-sided thought of what digital means and what technology is. It's beyond your mobile device or all of these things that we call tools, right? So how do I automate how I communicate and how I interact? And it's really based on already predefined behavior and design my interaction to complement what someone's already doing versus trying to create this brand new way of doing a certain thing. Ooh, we're diving into some waters that I love being in. This is a good conversation. What about for you, Jinx? From your perspective, how do you decide when to implement well, I, I don't know that it's necessarily so much how or how I decide when to implement. It's really more for me about the architecture of that implementation. And what I mean by that is uh, I've seen a lot of businesses where they're using like 28 disparate systems that barely talk to each other, you know. Um, and for me, like I try as much as possible to have uh, that one ring kind of setup, right? You know, where you have the the one ring to rule them all. I know deep nerd mm -hmm. reference there, but um you know, that if, if you've got a single system that allows for uh, integrating all of your systems and allows for your various, uh, uh, for data to flow through your business in a, a really holistic way, that's way more effective than 
oh, look, here's some new PM tool. Oh, look, here's some new time tracking tool. Oh, look, here's this tool. Here's that tool, you know? So for me, like the biggest thing that I'm always looking at is how does it integrate with the existing systems and how does it improve the flow of data through the business entirely? Because that's what these tools are for, you know? So I'm hearing the idea of, and I agree with you. I mean, there was a point in time in my own business where we had, you know, you look at your your invoice or your 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 your, your statements, you start seeing, holy shit, I have like 30 subscriptions. What's going on here, right? So you're trying to figure it out and you might have repetitive things going on in there. And I like that. And I, w- I want to come back to you soon and discuss how, how would you approach building that ring? Because I like that idea and how we can break that down to the simple small business. But uh, Robin, how about for you? When it comes to implementation, I know you said early adoption. Do you have any kind of criteria for you that you make that decision through of when to implement, how to implement? One of the key factors for me when it comes to implementation is I have this sort of mantra, which is stay where you already live, right? Mm. So if I already, some people live in their inbox, some people live in their calendar. I live in my calendar. So I want to stay where I already live. So key factor number one is it's got to integrate with my Google calendar. Otherwise, it's out of the running, right? Because I live in my calendar. I am naturally a pen and paper person. Like if I have to take notes on something, I'm going to reach for a notebook and a pen or a pencil before I reach for my phone to take a note, right? And so that's a key factor in understanding how I naturally operate. And therefore, I have to find tools that will work with that digitally. So like one of the things that I use is Rocketbook because... I can still use my pen and paper, which comes naturally to me. And then I can snap a photo of that and it'll sort it and store it digitally wherever I tell it to, right? So finding things to enhance the way I already work. There's a ton of stuff that you can do within email. If you live in your email, you can basically have your inbox run your whole day if you set it up appropriately. You can have your calendar run your whole day if you set it up appropriately. You can have something like Trello or Slack run your whole day if you set it up appropriately. So the the number one thing for me is where do I already live and what can interact with that to enhance that and to take advantage of that rather than fighting against it. Because what I feel like people do is they go, oh, I, you know, I really need to go digital, but they fight against the habits and skills that are so embedded in them naturally that it's pretty much designed to fail. So if instead you try to find tools that work with how you already naturally work, you're much more likely to adopt and fully implement those tools. Totally. And I think that that was, that was awesome. Giving a, an example of where you live is where you should stay. And I totally agree with you. I'm that pen and paper person too. And I live and die by my Google calendar. And there was, uh, there was something in there as well. When it comes down to adoption, right? That's a mindset thing. And I think that's really crucial because one of, one of the things I, I constantly say with clients or when I'm working with somebody is let's go talk to our business partner, Google. You have this ability to go on Google and they're like, well, what question do I ask? And I'm like, I type full paragraphs into the search bar. You know, if, if I have something pop up, you know, and I know Jinx is laughing at me right now, but you know, for somebody like myself, who's not the grumpy old bastard of tech, I'm the young guy of business. You know, I'm looking at this thing and you're, you're trying to type in like, why the hell did this box show up on this app while I was using it? And I'll type I'm that I'm laughing up. just because Google like literally geared itself around users like you. Semantic search is the reason Google shot out in front because they assumed that users would approach yeah. it that Perfect. way. Perfect. And, and it's that understanding of how do you utilize the tools themselves 
right? So what I think about is whenever I adopt a new tool for myself, I look at the philosophy of use. Like what's the ultimate goal of this tool itself? So if you give me like a hammer, what do you do with a hammer if you've never seen one before? So when it came to things like sales pages or landing pages, they can be complex, but then it's like, well, what are the actual goals of this? And then I would seek out maybe some people who knew better than I did always. I would, I would look for two different competing arguments, right? When you look at something like a sales page, what's interesting is you have that one person who's hardcore and they're like black and white, very short, very to the point. And then you have another person who's like, you should have 14 sections and it should be descending order and everything else. And it's like, which one is the truth? And it's kind of like implementation and testing, right? And so that's kind of like the, the process. But we just touched upon a little bit about the mindset and habits. And that's the kind of world I love living in is when we start talking about habits and we start talking about framing your life around it, what do you say to the person who's like, I'm just not a tech person? You know, I just, not me, right? So Jennifer, when you, when you think about that person, how would you walk them through that process? They're, they're struggling in their business or they're at plateau and they could be growing a little bit more if they just adopted some technology? So I would try to lean in to the problem solver nature of an entrepreneur or a business. So, okay, let's take tech out of the vernacular. Let's remove that language to remove the mental barrier that I'm just against this thing, right? So let's remove that and get that out of the way. Let me talk to you about process and let me talk to you a little bit about how do you define solving problems for your business? And now where can we give you that acceleration to lean on Robin's word? How do we accelerate your business by replacing things that you're already doing and probably already using? Because I guarantee that person is using email. So they can't say they don't like technology because they, they are using email, right? So you're already using it. So let's, you know, leverage that mentality and leverage and speak to a different side of you that's resistant to the word technology. Ooh, I like that a lot. Good question. So how do you define problem solving? And then removing the word, right? Because the word brings up so many thoughts and feelings of what experience in the past. I know, Robin, you've talked about this before too. When somebody says, you know, I hate sales. I just don't like sales, right? So that I, it's that same mentality. Right. It's, it, you've, you've been fucked over or something happened in the past with technology or maybe it was, it was tricky, right? So for you, when you're working with somebody, how, do you, how would you approach that when somebody says like, I'm just not a tech person? My general response is, well, then you haven't found the right tech experience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so like my sales example, people who say they're not, I'm just not a salesperson. They've had negative experiences. They've had less than ideal experiences not with sales, but with a sales tactic. And so generally the people who say, I'm just not a tech person have had a less than favorable experience with a piece of technology that has probably, if we dig, we'll find out that that technology was probably thrust upon them rather than consciously integrated into their life, right? So you've had a less than favorable experience with a piece of technology that was probably not your choice to adopt in the beginning. So like Jennifer said, like once you unpack all of that and go, not all technology is the same, you know, so like let's shake that off and let's look at, again, where you already live, how you already behave and operate and find tools that are going to enhance and accelerate that and hopefully get them to see that it doesn't have to be a fight. <laughs> I almost feel like we just had some couples counseling for a second. So that was pretty good. I feel like we could pop it's in like Dr. Phil. Yeah. How you do anything is how you do everything. <laughs> That's hilarious. Jinx, for you, sir, 
I, I've watched you deliver a dissection and a breakdown of a system to people before. And I've seen the glassy eyeballs afterwards. And I like talking to you because I know you know your shit. But how do you approach somebody who's like, I just don't like technology? What would you say to that? I mean, generally, you know, I, I can give very glassy eyed technology breakdowns of things all the time. But part of the reason why I'm in the roles that I'm in is because generally I, I have pretty good way of, of translating technology topics into human speak. And one of the ways that I do that is just I, I don't talk about the apps at all. I just say, you know, how are you handling team communication right now? How are you handling project management right now? We speak to the actual business process as opposed to, I mean, and at risk of repeating Jennifer to some degree, but, uh, you know, we're talking about the actual features of how things are working because everybody's already doing this already, right? You know, do you use a, a Slack as your communications app is a more unfriendly question than, hey, how are you guys chatting right now? Because they're going to be chatting some way, you know, oh, we, we have a Telegram group or we have a Facebook uh, chat uh, group or something, you know what I mean? We're talking specifically about the features helps to build an architecture that incorporates all the things that they're already using. And so you don't say, hey, you guys, we're going to use a bunch of new software apps. You say, hey, we're going to move chat over to Slack, you know, and getting like, you know, treating it from a feature perspective, I think makes it a lot easier because people are already familiar with the features. They're just, you know, sometimes scared of the underlying app architecture. Yeah, I love that answer, Jinx. And to add on to it, I've been a part of some very large change management technology delivery, right? And one of the things that I have found, which speaks exactly to what Jinx was stating, is people are afraid of the unknown. So how do I break down this you know, I want to avoid this at all costs because it's just so uncertain to me and I don't want to try it and really invite them to think about it in a different way and invite them and maybe handhold a little bit and say, it's okay, you know, this will help you and let me show you how. And then once they, you get past that barrier, then I think the adoption comes a lot easier. I think that's an important part right there, right? So let's talk about some real world implementation, right? Integration of a new habit takes anywhere from 90 to 100 or to, to 220 something days, right? Depending upon the conscious repetition. It's not going to be 21 days like the Instagram memes tell you. So when you're talking about implementation and actually driving a process, this is more of a technical question, but you don't want to be taking on a ton at once, right? So how, how would you approach that idea of Let's take it. Let's take a, an example of a business, right? I'm working with a, a business right now that is, uh, uh, let's say, a fitness business, right? And they do client-based services, but they know their brick and mortar needs to transition online. That's all we know, and that's their greatest opportunity right now. If we were going to systematically put in play uh, a process there, I would love to maybe brainstorm in a real-world example of the time of how would we collectively look at bringing that business online. What tools would you think of? And how would you drive that process? I'll start with uh, I'll start with Jennifer and see how you go with this. I would do it very iteratively, especially for someone who is completely transitioning an entire way of being, living, communicating, mm -hmm. um, in, interacting. I would do it very iteratively. So I'd start small. Like, what can we? What can we automate? What can we? You know, digitize. What can we? So looking at very basic process. So even the how you interact with that client is that digital. It, you know, that alone, when they come in to do, you know, any sort of, um, I want to sign up to be a part of this fitness program. How does that look? And how are you following up with them to capture that business in a digitized way? So maybe start there before just going completely full scale, completely digitizing the entire business model, start with something small and then see where the moment show prove that there is momentum and there is value because they'll see an instant boost, I believe, just by doing something small. 
So you like that iterative, small little steps that keep the ball moving forward and then getting the feedback from each step to kind of see what's working. Exactly. And that momentum will give confidence in continuing to do more. Love it. What about for you, Jinx? Well, it's funny because what I was thinking sort of dovetails with what Jen was thinking, but I have a little bit more of a dramatic gear shift kind of approach. I like to look for opportunities for positive disruption. And so, you know, it's, it's a bad thing when everything changes and it gets complicated. But if you start with an iterative change and then introduce something that can fundamentally radically improve people's workflow as part of that iterative change, you can sort of leapfrog. So you take a baby step and then a leapfrog forward. One of the examples of that was uh, there was a, a time when some of the members of management at Symphony were not even convinced that we should have Slack. They're like, oh, this chat, you know, it's, I don't know. It seems like maybe there's a time suck uh, there with how often people are chatting and such. Well, I mean, real-time communication is an important thing in businesses and having a good mechanism for that is a good thing. However, the, dis- the positive disruption that I was able to implement was by showing how the integrations with Slack work with other systems, for instance, Google Calendar, right? We don't look at Google Calendar anymore because it's all fed to us through Slack. We get the notifications in real time. We're able to set appointments and such with our events with uh, uh, short keys in Slack or, or, you know, the slash commands, all the rest of that. And Slack then shows you which of your team members are in a meeting currently with a little calendar icon so you know whether or not to expect a real-time response. That one integration was a massive positive disruption that was quickly adopted throughout the organization because it, it was so effective at communicating, here's what people are doing right now and whether they're busy or available. And on a personal level, it was just super convenient that the notifications that I'm always paying to paying attention to anyways now include, hey, it's one minute till this. Here's the link to this meeting. Do you want to click here to join that virtual meeting? that kind of deep, like positive disruption of the workflow, like it is quick to adopt. So by taking those small iterative baby steps and then looking for big, positive, disruptive, like leaps forward, you get the best of both worlds. Love that. What about for you, Robin? How would you approach something similar to that or the, or the example I gave? I think where I add value in situations like this is helping people create space and provide fail-safes for human behavior (laughs) in adoption of something like this. So like you said, it takes a long time to turn something into a habit, to ingrain it into muscle memory. And so if, if we use your fitness example, they'll probably need to put notes onto a customer record, you know? And I can already imagine a scenario where you have the one employee who's like, oh, I forgot to fill out the form. Oh, I forgot to fill out the form. Oh, I forgot to fill out the form. So what can we manually do to provide a constant reminder to that person that they need to fill out that form? It can be something as simple as a post-it note, you know? And this post-it note stays here to remind you to do it until the day that you do it without looking at the post-it note. And when you do it without looking at the post-it note, then you take that post-it note off and you put on a new one for the next thing you need to ingrain into your behavior, you know? So, So understanding that humans are fallible and are gonna you know, hit some bumps in the road on the way to this, you know, uh, amazing digital new world (laughs) and just creating the space and the fail safes and and accommodating the different ways in which everyone's going to get there. Because in this scenario, if you've got five trainers, I guarantee you each of those five trainers learns differently, applies differently, accepts information differently, 
And if you try to give it to them in all the same way, you're, you're guaranteed to have a rough road in getting everybody in sync in using uh, whatever it is, right? So understanding, okay, what do I need to do to make sure Jennifer absorbs and applies this information as quickly as possible? And how is that different from what I need to do to make sure that Chris absorbs and applies this information as quickly as possible? And maybe Jinx is my lead guy. He's been dying for me to do this, you know? So I don't have to worry about him, right? So let's leave him alone. Let him do his thing and focus on the people who need my help. So from a management perspective, I guess, it's just understanding that you can't approach everybody on the team the same way and you can't expect them all to implement the same way. And so stay focused on the goal, allow for that variation and accommodate that variation to the best of your ability for for the success of all. Yeah. And that, that's crucial to lead into the next topic, which I really want to dive into. We had discussed, you know, three things that are high impact for technology in our business between time organization and simplification. And what's interesting for me is uh, my philosophy is my view and knowing myself, as we talked about this earlier, knowing yourself really, really well. I know for me with the things that I get involved in, I typically like to bring people to the table. I look at problems in business as time or money. And those are the two ways that you can solve a problem. And so if, if I can find a jinx who knows that, that aspect and can implement, already knows this, then how can we figure out a way to partner on this or do something with it? What money needs to be spent? What needs to happen? I think that's another piece too, is don't be stingy with your budget. But that also presupposes that you know what your budget is, which means you know your fucking numbers. And so you can know when you can make those choices because for me, I'd rather just solve it with time and money and just be like, hey, this person is going to bring in an extra 40 hours a week or, or whatever that is. They're going to make huge shifts and changes that are going to allow me to do what I do best. And I can get the word from them, especially if it's a partner level thing, because they really know their stuff. But you have to know obviously how to form those partnerships and know the right place to go. But I think one of the things I was challenged with in my own personal business in both the coaching and consulting space was a lot of my work, and for many in that space, is predicated on their one-to-one work. And it's you doing a lot of the work manually because you're bringing a talent to the table. And so if you want to grow or scale beyond that, you have to have really strong process. And then you have to build those processes out and then find people who can do that the same way you can. So it's interesting because I solved that problem by bringing in an executive assistant and somebody who knew way better than I did and looking to recruit that person and pay for the expertise of that individual to say, this is what I'm looking for. Can you help me with this? And so hiring was another piece of what I call human technology because sometimes that human technology is like that blend of they know better than I do. So if I can have that expertise on my team, I'm going to hire, right? So while many people are worried about saving money, I like to spend the money and it's well worth it to solve that problem. So that solved my time organization and simplification but then it requires me to manage, right? So it requires me to understand how to manage people, which Robin, you talked about, which is important. Um, so I focus my efforts there, but I would love to dive into this topic of technology solving the time organization and simplification. I think of it as ADE, automate, delegate, eliminate. So we're diving into this. Talk to me a little bit about time organization and simplification when it comes to technology and what, what, what you look for in technology to solve these problems. I'll start with you, Jennifer. Okay, so... That will lead me right to talk about one of my all-time favorite tools, which is AHA. I think that they are probably underrated in some in some ways, but what I love about them and, and thinking about a product delivery vision, it allows you to go very strategic, 
but then it also adds in that task project management task, very specific things that kind of the tasks that you need to do to propel your business or to execute on that strategy and vision. So it integrates all of it into one platform. And then it rolls up very nicely to show you your progress towards that very specific goal. And then it also allows you to insert your personas. So if you're building anything, any sort of product or application, I like to leverage personas. So that way I can get really deep into the target ideal person that I want to deliver this product to. And it allows me to insert that personality and combine it with all of the things that I have to do to reach that product vision. And then if, you know, all those other bells and whistles weren't great, it allows me to take all of my items, all of my tasks and put them in a PowerPoint presentation to refresh that data in real time. And now I can just deliver it out to any other person on my team or anyone within my organization so that they are right there with me and they can stay engaged in everything that I'm doing. So that way we can course correct in real time or make sure that the vision is aligning to the overall mission and goal. So I absolutely love how that technology lets me integrate all the way from the strategy, the vision, the person that I'm targeting, all the way down to the very specific tasks that allow you to develop the product. Wow. I am thankful that you're playing on the good side of the team. It's amazing. So what I heard in there was, so this is, AHA is more of like a project management software or what kind of technology is it? I would say it's a product delivery software if you are in any sort of application development um, space, which is what I primarily work in is product development. And also it does allow and enable um, strategic level goals that roll into how you're developing that product. So like it helps lay timelines for MVPs and delivery of MVPs and stuff like that? Yes, it manages all of your releases you know, all of your release trains, if you know anything about agile software development. I don't, but I'm going to be thankful to have you on a previous a new episode to go over that kind of stuff. Because I think that's super interesting to me. But yeah, I think that's great. So the, the software really helps you. It sounds like time organization and simplification specifically for what you're doing. So it checks all three boxes, right? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Jinx, what about for you? Time organization simplification. Jen gave an example of uh, technology. What about for you? I mean, it's, I don't know, it, it, so much of the time stuff, it relates to process engineering, which I think could turn into a long, glassy-eyed conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to avoid that entirely by saying, you know, I've, I've, I've probably helped set up a dozen teams or so from scratch. And the biggest things are how quickly can you get people sharing data, communicating, and all the rest of that. So for me, you know, when I'm approaching that, it's always about how much, how broad of an infrastructure can I roll out with the fewest amount of apps possible, you know? So just in general, every time I'm starting a team from scratch, some of the first things that we do are set up a Slack and set up G Suite, because between those two platforms, I'm able to start the process of automation and cover the vast majority of like low-level infrastructure stuff. We've got email, we've got calendar, we've got collaborative documents, we've got a communications tool, and a communications tool that not only just provides chat, because I mean, Gchat's built into G Suite, we could use that. The point with Slack is that every other application that you use integrates into that. And so that provides a big starting point where 80% of your heavy lifting is already done. So for me, that's the big time save, right? Putting those two apps together, you fundamentally knocked out the vast majority of things. After that, you're starting to get into specialty systems, you know? I may add Atlassian if I'm working with a development team or, you know, teamwork if I'm working with a pure agency team or something along that line. But it's really down to specialization at that point. And as long as they integrate with Slack, which most apps do, 
now you're still working towards that centralized one view thing that um, I think it was Robin that was talking about earlier is where do you live? You know, uh, we very consciously direct everyone to that neighborhood. Slack is where we live and all of these other tools just integrate and play nice with that. You know? I dig it. So the, the idea was do more with less. Right. So that the idea of that MVP, minimal viable product, if you don't know what that stands for, but it's the idea that you can get as much as you can done by spending the least and also using the least amount of resources. So you pulled uh, a lot of value out of just Slack and G Suite. Yep, exactly. Awesome. So you onboard a team and you guys already have a process in place that you guys get them set up in their email, their G Suite, their, their Google Calendar. And that's beautiful because now you already have an ability for teams to communicate, share, do what they need to do. For most teams, that gets us 80% of the way there for infrastructure, just those two, those two apps. Dig it. I like that a lot. Uh, Robin, how about for you when it comes to time organization and simplification? I just first want to say I love that Jinx said direct people to that neighborhood because now I have a whole vision of like digital nice. neighborhoods. And, and that's an awesome concept. Uh, so I'm going to share a quote that came from my husband's grandfather, who was a very, talk about a grumpy old bastard. <laughs> this guy had you beat. But wisdom, he passed down to my husband, who my husband shared with me one day while we were working on a home improvement project, and I was struggling with painting. And he said, I'm going to tell you what my grandfather used to always tell me, which is let the tool do the work. And I think the same thing applies to these digital tools, is when you let the tool do the work, that's going to impact all three of those things, time, organization, and simplification. So that's something I keep in mind when I'm thinking about these tools. I'll talk about two of my favorites that have had a huge impact on me personally, but also in my business. Um, the first one is Active Campaign. I happen to be in love with Active Campaign, but you can use any email marketing automation software. But as, as you may know by now, I am big in sales. I love sales. I think we're all selling all the time and we should be doing it on purpose and not on accident. But a big part of sales is in the follow-up. And guess what? I'm not naturally built to be successful at follow-up. <laughs> and so I knew I had to put a system in place to take care of that for me so that it didn't fall through the cracks because my brain is constantly generating the next idea, the next project. And I forget there's not enough room in this head to go, oh, wait, I need to send 16 emails to the 16 people, you know, who are potential leads, right? So I let the tool do the work and you have to put in a little bit of effort up front or like Chris said, you can hire somebody to do the effort up front to build these things. But then once they're built, you just let them do the work. So I don't have to worry about making sure somebody knows the whole process that they're going to go through with me. The emails are already built to send out to let them know exactly what to expect and exactly what the process is going to be. And that's been huge for me because I know the value of follow-up. I'm just not naturally built to be good at it myself. So I needed something in place to handle that. My other favorite tool, it's fair to say I'm an evangelist for this tool. I've been a lifelong lover of Trello from their very early days. And when they got bought by a big company called Atlassian, I panicked but thank you Atlassian for keeping the magic that is Trello. They've done a really good job and they've enhanced it. So now you can make automated things in Trello, which is a game changer. So I like to be both uh, spreadsheety kind of organized, but also visually organized. And Trello allows me to do both. 
And now with automation and things in place, I, I run all my clients through Trello. So when people come on board with me, they get their own Trello board and they go through their whole lifetime, their whole experience with me through that Trello board. We communicate through there, all their homework, all the tools that I give them, all the things that we create together, it all lives there. And so I have some clients who've been working with me for two or three years now who are still on the same Trello board and we just keep adding to it. And they have a digital record. They don't ever have to go looking. I don't ever have to go looking for anything that was ever said or done. It all lives in one place. All of our communication lives in one place. And so that allows us to be very organized and it keeps it very simple because we're not communicating back and forth via email and communicating back and forth via Facebook Messenger and trying to find all that stuff and get it into one Google Drive folder. You know, by me running my clients through Trello, everything, the communication, the documents, everything lives right there. And that's just had a huge impact for me. And so, you know, I... I sing the praises of Trello from the mountaintops. <laughs> I'm going to have to give a shout out to the uh, the granddaddy product there, Jira, which is what uh, Alassian originally created before they bought Trello. When I first started working with Jira, it was game changer because of these automated workflows that she's describing in that you can create states of, a, of an individual ticket or task that only can go certain ways depending on what happens. So, you know, there's conditional choices and such, and you can force people into a workflow, so to speak, using that. And the fact that they've integrated that system into Trello is, you know, Jira is much more of a developer's tool. Trello is very accessible for everyone. So that that's, I'm seconding that. It's funny. I think Jira is a polarizing software. <laughs> so it's, it's funny true. you bring that one into the mix. There's some strong opinions on that one, but I will say, just like we talk about how at times businesses or individuals that run businesses can avoid technology, one of the other things that we see people avoid is money and financial management. So if I were to recommend another tool or another process to systemize, to automate, it would be your financial your, your financial management process and the reporting that goes along with understanding what your receivables and your any of the, the expenses that you have for your business. And that would be either like a QuickBooks, which most financial institutions that you put your business account with, they give that to you for free. A lot of them do. Or even FreshBooks, which I think is a little bit step up above QuickBooks because there's a lot more automation in there than, um, than what QuickBooks offers in terms of reporting. So financial management is another area of your business that you should definitely systemize and automate. Get out of the spreadsheets. Really use a tool that really pulls everything together for you and gives you a big, huge snapshot of what is going on in your company. And that's absolutely massive. From an infrastructure perspective, one of the apps that has helped me both personally and professionally that I can't say enough about is Legal Shield. From the perspective of many businesses don't have the ability to have access to having a general counsel on board, and they don't realize that there are tools out there that can provide you something that gives you unlimited amounts of contract review, document review, consultation of any kind that you want. I mean, I've spoken to attorneys in Texas, Ohio, Florida, California to resolve issues when it dealt with contracts, contract review, revisions, equity partnerships, all this stuff, dealing with partner-level attorneys. And I've spent probably in, in the four years I've used it, I, I pay between my business membership, personal membership, right around like 500 bucks a year, which is about an hour of an attorney's time. And I've probably saved close to about $16,000 so far. Um, so dealing with things like collections or other issues when dealing with vendors, it was huge. 
Uh, so I'm a huge fan and advocate for Legal Shield as far as that goes. All my clients use it in their businesses, and I just think it's a great resource. Before we wrap up, I do want to dive into a topic that that I'm very passionate about, which is your thoughts on high tech, low touch, and the nature of like humanizing customers and business. Because we talk a lot about technology, and one of the challenges that I had from adoption perspective was. I didn't like to remove the warmth of my business. I liked the idea of being able to talk to people and to touch out to people. But at scale, that doesn't happen, right? So I like Robin, you talked about your email campaigns. And there's this concept of maybe for another conversation we have down the road, like humanizing marketing, right? Because I think some people are like, I don't like sales, I like marketing. But I like to think of it because in the corporate world, we dealt with this. How do we increase the customer experience? How do we deliver net promoter score results? So I would love to hear your thoughts on high-tech, low-touch versus low-tech, high-touch. And in the industries that you're involved in, how do you still keep it customer-centric? How do you still keep the business thriving on making it about the customer and the client in your line of work? So I'll let Jennifer let you take the lead on that. Yeah, and that's really where I believe journey mapping can help you understand how people are finding you. Really under, you know, look at where, where are they doing their discovery? Where are they doing their research? I think in in any business, you're going to have a variety of personality types for your customers or for your end users if it's product-based. And one of the things that I do know is there are high-touch people who they are very aware of technology, but they prefer that personal contact, that physical connection. And we're seeing that elevate more and more, even through younger generations. They People desire to have that. And I think technology can help you achieve it as long as you implement it the right way. You can still keep that personal connection. You know, you don't have to use the um, out-of-the-box language that comes in some of the, you know, marketing tools that you utilize. Personalize it and also let technology... Um, enable you to communicate more frequently. That is another way to stay connected. Being proactive in how you're connecting with your audience as well through, and I think technology can help you do that. So I don't think you have to sacrifice one to get the other. Just be cognizant about it and understand how your consumers, um, whoever's using your product or service, how they're finding you and how you're interacting with them. I love that. So it's about being intentional about knowing and anticipating. You have to make some assumptions in there, right? About, you know, archetype and persona and kind of what that person is going to do. And it's a really strong case. And it's going to be a great future conversation. Jinx, for you, how do you handle that, that aspect of keeping it warm and customer centric, client centric and the use of technology? To, to kind of go back to what Robin was talking about with the digital neighborhoods, right? It's one thing to direct your team to a specific digital neighborhood. It's another thing entirely to know where your customers live. And I think that too often we see businesses like I, I've talked to businesses recently who were still doing like cold calling and, and stuff mm. like that. And it's like nobody wants that. Um, but I think that, you know, as as managers, there's often this tendency to sort of make some assumptions about where people or how people want to communicate and things along that line. And so being a little bit flexible, like one of the things, one of the companies that I work with, they have a lot of customers who like communicating via text, text, text messaging. For me, that's insane. I would hate to have to deal with customers via text messaging. However, in their business, that's a common way that people communicate. And so we implemented an integration into Slack called Haymarket that allowed us to set up a dedicated text number for the business that the entire team is capable of responding to. All of the texts from customers show up in this channel and it feels very personal. It feels very much like 
going out to them and and human in that way, you know, because who do you text? Your relatives, your friends, family, whatever, you know. And now they're able to communicate with the business in the way that they prefer, which feels natural to them, you know. So even though it's moving in a more tech direction, so to speak, if you think about moving from like a phone call or a face-to-face into, you know, messaging, but the customers want that. And so having the ability to support that digitally while integrating it with your existing business systems, it meets that need on both sides. Love that. And I did write down, hey, Mark, and I listen to smart people and I take notes. Always be coachable. Robin, I feel strongly about this, that we need to create a shirt that says, where's your hood? Or rep your hood or something like that when it comes to like where you live in terms of on, online. I love that. Yeah. What's your digital neighborhood? So I feel like I sound like a broken record when we get to this point in conversations like this, because I'm going to bring it all back around to brand. If you're asking clients to interact with this digital tool and you don't heavily infuse it with your brand and your personality, what a huge fucking missed opportunity. Um, everything that you create that clients are going to interact with should have your brand smeared all over it. Like I'm purposefully using the most disgusting terminology I can think of because your brand goo should be all over this. It should be so easily recognizable as you and your brand voice, you know? So I may have automated emails, um, but I specifically build things in so that it sounds like me. I'm, I'm going to give you one of my favorite examples. Fun and surprise are a big part of my brand. Huh, imagine that. And um, so when I have people fill out contact forms on my website, instead of just name and email address, I also ask them ridiculous things that change on a regular basis. Like, what's your favorite donut? What's your favorite exclamation, right? So that when they get the automated generated response from me and my brand, it will include that information. So Jennifer might get an email that's like, oh my God, Jennifer, I'm so glad you're here. I love that you subscribed even more than you love Boston cream donuts, right? And there's this instant connection and this instant personal touch, even though I didn't have to do any of it, right? It still heavily represents me and my brand. And that doesn't take a lot of effort but, but you do have to think about it, right? So if you have your journey maps and you have your brand voice, you know, and you know where people are coming from and you know what their preferences are, like Jinx said, you can set up that autoresponder on Haymarket to be like, dude, thanks for texting, you know, if that's in alignment with your brand voice or maybe your brand voice is more like, I know this is weird, but everybody communicates via text. So how can we help you, right? Like it's such a huge opportunity to create a touch point and a connection with clients. Like again, use it to enable those things, not to detract from it, you know? The the worst thing is when I get an email that says, hello, first name, like, oh, you fucked up your technology. (laughs) What the pervasive message is from what I keep hearing over and over is meet your customers where they are. Interact with them the way they want to be interacted with. And that is connection right there. We do that innately in human you know, face to face, we mirror people. If we like their body language and it's speaking to us, we do it subconsciously. We, you know, start, you you can feed off of someone else's liking of a certain thing. And I think you can still do that leveraging technology. A hundred percent. The fact that you said brand goo earlier made me moist. (laughs) So just wanted 
I just wanted to add that word in there, considering you're using words that feel good, right? Love maybe afterwards. And I think it goes back to this idea, again, conversation for another episode, but I think it goes back to this idea of you don't start a business just to make money. There you go. You start a business to fucking interact with people, right? How you engage in commerce with fucking people. And that's like my big idea and belief around this. And I love this concept and I love each one of your perspective on this and how we move into this. There's a lot here. Uh, but I'm going to give it one more one more roundtable. Is there anything that we've missed that you feel passionate that you want to dive in and just leave with before we wrap up? Throw it out to Jennifer first. Oh, now you put me on the spot. I feel like we've covered so much goodness here. It's hard to like not go deep and hardcore into something. I think if we could walk away with anything, um, it's definitely the hoodies on the um, digital neighborhoods. <laughs> Going deep and hardcore. There we Going go. Going to jinx. <laughs> So we know our customers can be resistant to change. We know that our team members can be resistant to change, which means that as managers, we have to be open to change because we're the only ones who will drive it. So fundamentally, I mean, that's that's that would be my takeaway. And it's almost always the opposite. It's senior management who is resistant to that change. Um, but that's really the mindset that has to shift. We have to lead. And part of that means we have to lead into positive forward change. Dig it. What about for you, Robin? Is there anything left being damp, moist, Going deep and hardcore, what you got? <laughs> Enjoy the ride. Uh, have fun with it. If you're not having fun with it, then it's probably not the right tool. That's what she said. Anyways, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. What an episode, guys. I am sincerely thankful for each one of you being here, shedding light into your perspective around this. I think we can go into a million directions with this. It's an exciting topic. I mean, walking in here and having this discussion around, we talked about mindset, belief systems, integration of technology, but also how do you train the habit? We talked about things like and allow technology to enable you to be better in your business and to cover the areas that you're no longer great at, to take care of the things that you're naturally not gifted at. And I love the fact that Robin talked about that. I like the fact that we talked about how you plan on interacting with a person, getting intentional and thoughtful about where people are going to connect with you in that process of what Jennifer talked about. I love what Chris said earlier about the idea that your business, the technology should blend into the background. And I think that that's an increasingly important thing with the reliance of people on social media and some other technology is how do you blend that concept of your business being in the forefront, technology blending into the back? So with that being said, what do we do with all this? Well, first and foremost, we talked about in the very beginning, are you spending more time in your business than on your business? As the founder, the owner, the driver of your business, Nobody cares as much as you do. You need to be driving your business. You need to be out talking to people. You need to be, what is it? Kissing hands and shaking babies, maybe on that, perhaps. But listen, how can you use technology? Well, first, it's a mindset shift. It's about the ability to take away the idea of the old, old paradigm pushing forward to the new and being open. We have to be open as managers, as drivers of the business to change. And change is what's necessary in today's economy. It's necessary in today's world with people-focused businesses. Everything that we talked about on the show today will be linked in the show notes. And make sure you do some exploration, listen to this episode multiple times. And of course, let us know how we can support you. And for now, this is Chris, and we will see you next Tuesday. What the fuck are you waiting for? Take what you learned in this episode and do something with it. You'll find all the links and resources we talked about in our show notes for this episode. Go to unfuckmybusiness.com to subscribe to the show.